Just imagine the mightiest heroes of our time. All of them on one team. The Fire and Water Network proudly presents JLU Cast. Hello and welcome to JLU Cast, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, covering the Justice League Unlimited animated series. I'm one of your hosts, Cindy Franklin. And I'm Chris Franklin, and we're back to discuss the third episode of Justice League Unlimited, produced Hawk and Dove. The air dates and the production order get out of sync for a bit, but we've always gone production order, so why change now? Exactly. So Hawk and Dove originally aired August 31st, 2004. Story by Ron Zimmerman, teleplayed by Robert Goodman, directed by Joaquin Dos Santos, with music by Christopher Carter. In the cast, we had Susan Eisenberg as Wonder Woman, Carl Lumley as John Jones, Fred Savage as Hawk, Jason Hervey as Dove, Michael York as Ares, Ed Asner as Hephaestus, Patrick Bocall as Kasnian Monk, Ed Ross as General Olenek, Lex Lang as Nardoch, and James Arnold Taylor as Private. The Greek god of war Ares picks up a special order from the forger of the gods, Hephaestus. An indestructible living suit of armor called the Annihilator. He delivers and demonstrates its power to Nordok, the leader of the northern faction of Kasnian, at war with their southern brothers. After she roughs up a gang of bank robbers, Jean points out to Wonder Woman how aggressive she's gotten of late. He sends her on a mission to Kasnian, home to her old friend, Queen Audrey, hoping to put an end to their civil war. But first, Diana must stop off and pick up two more heroes, Hawk and Dove. The brothers run into trouble when Don Hall's liberal leanings upset a crew of conservative rednecks in a sports bar. His brother Hank tends to agree with him, but he's also not going to let them assault him or his sibling. The two turn into their superhero personas and end the conflict, Hawk with brute strength and Dove with disarming finesse. Flying to Kasnia in her invisible jet, the heroes spot the Annihilator, and after engaging with it, learn of its unmanned nature. Wonder Woman notes the mark of its creator and pulls the brothers out of the fight, much to Hawk's ire. While Wonder Woman sets out to have a word with its creator, Dove suggests they kidnap the leaders of both forces and initiate a dialogue. Wonder Woman's visit with Hephaestus doesn't seem to go well, although he does hint the armor does have a weakness. When she threatens him, he warns her she'll never stop it that way. Dove attempts to kidnap Nardok, but finds it's Ares in disguise, having disposed of the leader after he refused to give in to the bloodlust to destroy his enemies. The Annihilator advances on the southern forces with Dove strapped to its chest. Hawk frees him, but the more the heroes in the armies fight against him, the stronger he gets. Wonder Woman realizes aggression fuels the monster and orders everyone to stand down, but no one listens. Dove jumps in front of the robot and stands there. The soldiers behind him eventually lower their weapons, and the robot stops. Ares appears and bemoans his loss, but assures Wonder Woman he'll reappear whenever hatred and inequality rear their head. Diana vows to be ready. Dove gloats that this resolution proves his point to his long-standing ideological feud with his brother, but Hawk admits he never really listens to him anyway. The northern and southern factions warily walk away from one another. Peace is restored for now. So before we go any further, it's pretty obvious that this episode hits pretty close to home uh, with current events. You know, we try to keep things light here, uh, a nice distraction, but uh, it's sad that little has changed since this episode aired, and we can only wish that these kind of conflicts could be resolved and ended as easily as this episode. And we'll just leave it at that. Uh, right off the bat, the episode has a great voice cast, Ed Asner and Michael York, both of them mm-hmm. in one episode. Uh, both have voiced New Gods before. Asner infamously voiced Granny Goodness 
and Michael York uh, was Canto. Mm-hmm. Uh, York also provided the voice of Montague Kane on the Zatanna episode we covered a few uh, months ago uh, with Ryan Daly, and he also essayed Count Vertigo on Batman the Animated Series. Mm-hmm. So he's had quite a few roles on uh, in the DCAU. So what do you think of this design for Ares? I get the, I don't know, it's his hairstyle, that Caesarish haircut, I don't know, because it's got the curly cues in the front, I realize that that's Greek Roman mythology and blah, 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 yeah. but I'm just kind of like, I don't know, it just doesn't, that part doesn't carry as well over into modern times. It kind of looks like he stepped off the set of uh, the, the, well, not the set, because it's not real, but he, he stepped out of the animated Hercules series, the, oh, yeah, the, the Disney movie yeah. and then the follow-up mm-hmm. series, he kind of he kind of looks like that, yeah. I understand why they went with that because they pretty much gave the the classic George Perez Ares look to Hades on oh, on, on, okay. on this series and on Justice League. Right, and he will return. Yeah, in, in, in JLU. So, well, that's true. Okay. Yeah, yeah. In the very very good episode Paradise Lost that we mm-hmm. were like, you know, wow, that was a really great episode that we mm-hmm. weren't expecting. So. So, the Annihilator is most definitely the destroyer from the Thor comics in the film. Uh-huh. I for mean, sure. they just switched his creation from Norse to Greek. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> once again, Marvel is often just as big an influence as DC on this show. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, that's most definitely. I mean, if you... Of course, this came out before the first Thor movie, but if you've never read a Thor comic, but you've seen the Thor films, then you know this is basically the same thing. Right, <laughs> so, right. <laughs> But that is that that is not necessarily a trope. But that is not where it's only been shown before. It's been shown in other books and things like that about how your heart fuels you know your passion fuels whatever that aggre- you know right. aggression is or you know it's it's you. similar to the legend so. of Talos, the statue that was given life by the gods and. And that you saw in an amazing Dynamagic Glory in Ray Harryhausen's Jason and the Argonauts. Mm-hmm. It's like the Golem. You know, mm-hmm. it's yeah. kind of like that. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, this, the the Jack Kirby-esque look of this right, thing. Right, right. Uh, <laughs> which Jack Kirby designed a Destroyer, too. Uh, they don't look a lot alike, but, I mean, they're the same. It's, it's basically the Destroyer, so, yeah. Uh, we were so excited about getting into the series on the previous two episodes that we didn't really cover the new opening. So we start out with a slow pan across the original leaguers, Nice painted, it's that, it's that classic, iconic painted shot by Bruce Tim of them standing there. Mm-hmm. Uh, then the guitar kicks in, and we see there's now a huge army of heroes. And oddly enough, the image of Superman changes, but the rest of them don't, because he's now he's got his arms folded. Mm. But the rest of them don't change, which I always thought oh. was weird. And they, the, the original image, they used the old Superman design with the, you know, cheekbones, uh, yeah. the, the old tired face. Yeah. As the music speeds up and the guitar wails, we cut between images from the episodes we're about to see and painted images of the heroes, the main the main six heroes at this point, mm-hmm. by Bruce Tim, slowly moving with dramatic lighting all around them. I honestly think it's more effective than the, the CGI from the original mm-hmm. opening. And uh, as one of our listeners will point out in the feedback, spoiling moments from... Each episode is similar to what Space 1999 and other shows once did, but Bruce Tim and company soon realized that uh, they were they. It was really difficult to not really spoil exactly. what was going on by showing action. Uh-huh. Uh, so they went away from that and ended up just showing the same images over and over again. So, 
Uh, the montage ends with the silhouettes of the big three looking up as hundreds of unidentified heroes fly above them. I love it, and I still get a charge every time I see it. It makes the old opening seem so slow and plodding. Yeah. I mean, when you go back and watch, you know, you're, you like, you know, now, of course, nowadays, you can, if you're watching on HBO Max, you can just skip intro, mm-hmm. but it's just like the, <laughs> it's just like, you know, I'm like, I much prefer, you know, yes. this better than that. Yeah. You know. I, and yes, he played air guitar on that one. Yeah, I did. I did. Uh, we're back to Kaznia, the setting of Maid of Honor. Last time Vandal Savage was trying to take over, uh, this poor country can't catch a break. And actually, I don't think I brought that up when we covered, uh, Maid of Honor, but Kaznia is their go-to country. Like, it, it featured in, it was mentioned in Batman Beyond. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been mentioned in other, before we saw it, in, actually saw it in Maid of Honor, it had been mentioned before. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like their version, even though it's an Eastern European country, it's kind of like what DC Comics did with Korak in the Middle East. Right. You know, it's like, we don't want to use Iraq, Iran, Pakistan, whatever, so we'll use, we'll name our own right. country, you know, and it's kind of like what they've, they've done here with that. What did you think of Wonder Woman's white bell-bottom look? Oh, that was a callback to her 70s redo. Yeah. It really was. Yeah, the the powerless Diana Prince uh-huh. Wonder Woman, yeah. I thought it looked cool. But she is being extra aggressive here. Uh, I'm pretty sure that one guy she dropped on top of that car is paralyzed now. <laughs> but... Uh, uh, poor Jean, he's always playing counselor to these long underwear types. It has to suck. No wonder he takes a break in season three. Right, exactly. I, I mean, yeah. you, know, you know, it's just, it, it's like he's always got to talk him down, you know, from one one reason or another. So then we meet brothers Hank and Don Hall. And once again, Andrea Romano has pulled off a wonderful bit of stunt casting here. We have Fred Savage mm-hmm. and Jason Hervey, who famously played often antagonistic brothers Kevin and Wayne Arnold for six seasons on The Wonder Years from 1988 to 1993. Yep. And I don't know about you, but that was a, a favorite show of mine. It was. It yeah, was. Yeah, that was, I mean, par- partially because we were like the same age. Yeah. Like, as them. Like, when it came on, like, until it ended. Like, I know, it was almost exactly. I think he was like one grade behind, maybe. Maybe, yeah. Because I think it ended when he was a junior, and it ended like right when we were seniors, right before we graduated. Yeah. It went off. And I always spoiler warning for this show. I will never forgive them for the ending of that show. I know because Kevin, you know, uh, not Kevin. Daniel Stern is the voice of older Kevin. Daniel Stern from Home Alone, and, right? And 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 uh, uh, the City, City Slickers. Yeah. He's the narrator, and he talks about. You see this parade going through the town because, you know, this Kevin and Kevin and Winnie had finally, you know. Made love or something yeah. in the last episode or something, and, and you know it's like this big moment, and and he mentions what had ha- what happened, and he said six months later my father died of a heart attack. Yeah, I'm just like you sons of bitches. Yeah, <laughs> just I mean not that it's not hard to believe because man, Kevin's dad was so <laughs> intense on that show. Mm-hmm. Oh my, he was I, I mean he was great. Oh, yeah. On it. Uh, and I can't think of the actor's name off the top of my head. I didn't write it down. I can't think of the actor's name, but he was great on it. But, uh, yeah, that was a gut punch. But anyway, back to, back to Hawking Dub. Uh, <laughs> so what's really interesting here is that Andrea Romano flips the script and she casts the perennial butthead, Jason Hervey, mm-hmm. as Dove. And 
everybody loves him Fred Savage as Hawk. Right. Uh, what a great swerve. I, I almost wonder, though, if that didn't set up, because if you notice, Fred Savage went on to do several bullying roles. He was in that role with um, Danielle Fisher um, where he killed her. You mm. know, it was a high school romance gone wrong. Oh. Um, he was also on famously opposite his brother Ben Savage on uh, Boy Meets World where he was a bully college professor. Mm. You know, it was very, that set the stage. There were several roles that he took and it wasn't Daniel Fisher. That was on um, Boy Meets World, but he played opposite another well known teen actress at that mm. time. Okay. And he ended up killing her, but it wow. was a high school romance gone wrong. Yeah. And so I wonder which came first there because he did took several roles hmm. like that. I don't know. Yeah, it was probably you know he's trying to get out from that squeaky clean, right? You know, I'm even sure. even though Kevin, I mean Kevin wasn't like perfect on that show. No, I no, mean, no. He wasn't, but I mean Wayne was a cartoon. I mean mm-hmm. he was like he was like, and I mean it was from Kevin's perspective. So of course Wayne was just you know there was very little. I mean occasionally they'd show that he substance, actually yeah. had some substance to him. But you know, and, and he played a very similar character in in uh, the Monster the Squad. squad. Yeah. He, he played a jerk uh, kid actor in Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Jason mm-hmm. Hervey did, and of course, Fred Savage is also famously in The Princess Bride. Mm-hmm. He's a little boy that yeah. Peter Falk reads the story to, obviously. But and he also had a cameo in the Deadpool version. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, 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 that's right. That's right. I never have seen that. I version. haven't seen it, but I've just seen yeah. the advertising. Yeah, Deadpool's. So. Yeah, Ryan Reynolds is Deadpool is reading yeah. this story, telling the story. Yeah, I remember. Remember that show? Was it called Working with Fred Savage? Yeah, yeah. I like that show. I know. Well, I liked it the first season, and, and they for some it. reason they retooled it for the second season. I'm like, eh. yeah, that show was ahead of its time. But it also had Winnie Cooper on there again as the boss's daughter. They had her on there. Oh yeah, yeah. She, that one episode. She's in all those like Disney, uh, not Disney, Hallmark Christmas movies. But here's the thing: she is brilliant. I know she has all of these wonderful algebra books, and I mean that's one of the reasons Danny loves our Danny loves math so much. Danny got those books from the library and went through them. I mean, she explains yeah. the math and everything else, and Danny was able to figure out my, you know. Algebra math when she was in the fifth grade. Yeah. Just because she Daniel Panabaker, is that her name? No, 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 no. That's the Flash Lady. That's Flash Lady. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. What's her name? That's uh, Danica McClare. Danica, yeah, McKellar. McKellar. Danica McKellar. Sorry. But anyway, yeah. she is a brilliant, brilliant woman. She ex- breaks things down um, and teaches like nobody's business. Her and she's absolutely a, a mathematician. That's what she has her master's in. She has a master's degree in mathematics. What's with these '80s like teen leads on TV shows becoming like uh, brilliant, uh, uh, like uh, Mayim Bialik mm-hmm. and her both are you know like yeah. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. That's cool that they like and they still act. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, <laughs> I believe if I'm, I mean, I may be talking out of my head on this one, but I'm pretty sure that she has an institute to further um, females in math in the math in mathematics. Well, that's cool. That's cool. So. Now, see, they should have brought her in as Don Granger. Mm. <laughs> uh, anyway, I digress. Anyway, yeah, we digress. Anyway, but yeah, they, they swerved it, yeah. Uh, speaking of things too close to home, uh, the fact that Don obviously said something that these uh, redneck thugs seems deem unpatriotic is enough for them to try and beat him and his brother. Are we sure this episode wasn't made yesterday? I mean, in here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Oof. Uh, we should mention that Hawk and Dove uh, were created by artist and plotter Steve Ditko and scripter Steve Skates. 
for Showcase Number 75, June 1968. They were meant to be allegories for the attitudes toward the Vietnam War, but Ditko's Ayn Rand beliefs caused him to often portray Dove as wrong and weak, with Hawk being the correct aggressive hero. We saw how that worked out, Wave Rider. Yeah, yeah, so... Uh, um. <laughs> uh, Skates tried to balance things out a bit, but uh, giving <laughs> Dove's perspective some weight, good one, uh, and making him appear more confident and less timid, but Ditko balked at this and left the ongoing Hawk and Dove title with issue number two, the character's third story. Uh, the title only lasted four more issues, with Skates leaving by issue number four and artist Gil Kane eventually taking over the title for the last two issues. The duo joined the Teen Titans around this time, and their connection to that team Gave them sporadic appearances in the 70s and early 80s until Dove was killed in Crisis on Infinite Earths. Hawk eventually found a new female Dove in Don Granger, as we mentioned, in the uh, late 80s miniseries that was by uh, Barbara Randall, then Kessel, and her then-husband, Carl Kessel, and a very young Rob Liefeld. And uh, Don's portrayal here is a bit of a mix between the two most famous versions of Dove. He's a little more aggressive than his comic version was portrayed usually back in the you know late Silver Age, Bronze Age. But he's still using as little violence as possible to disarm and dissuade mm-hmm. his adversaries. And yes, unfortunately, of course, uh, the whole Monarch thing in the Armageddon 2001 events, he, Monarch was meant to be Captain Adam, mm-hmm. but it leaked that he was Captain Adam. So they changed it to where he was Hawk, which made absolutely no sense because Hawk was never smart enough to become Monarch. Right. I mean, it made sense for Captain Adam to become Monarch. made absolutely no sense mm. for Hawk to become Monarch. So, And then there's all sorts of ridiculous timey-wimey. You can listen to Siskoid and Bass's Zero Hour podcast for what they did, and, and he became extant, and yeah. It's all kind of headache-inducing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I like that Dove does engage with the thugs, but he uses their momentum against them mm-hmm. with judo throws and sometimes simply stepping out of the way, which is really nice. And when they change, it's a really cool effect. Uh-huh. It's like it's kind of like, you know, their their change is actually a little more impressive than their powers because you know, I mean, there's they've got super strength, super speed, and I think Hawks, of course, is a little bit stronger mm-hmm. than Dove, and I think Dove's got a little more acrobatic. Ability. Prowess. Yeah. But it's like, you know, they, they, they've almost got a, like a Shazam-like transformation or mm-hmm. He-Man in this episode. But it does look really cool. I, I did think it was interesting that, that Dove takes a defensive wings over head stance when he changes. Or maybe it's just jazz hands. I don't know. Did you notice that? <laughs> yeah, it's just, uh, uh, but Wonder Woman seems overly aggressive with these two when she shows up. Don't you think? I, I think it was just to show, you know, to make when... They do have the the robot or whatever power down just to show that dichotomy. Yeah, so. I, I, I think I think they I definitely think that they they upped her aggression in this episode mm-hmm. because this actually I mean actually even though this is involves Ares and the Greek gods and Hephaestus and everything, Wonder Woman's kind of filling the hot girl void here. Mm-hmm. I mean she's very aggressive. Uh, you know, Wonder Woman was always very passionate one way or the other, but here she's like just she got out of the wrong uh, out of the wrong side of the bed that morning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, she's having she ain't having none of it that day. So uh, there's a lot of action in this episode, but honestly, none of it stands out very much. I don't think mm-hmm. like the combat sequences. I guess that's that's good in a way. It doesn't glorify war exactly. in, in any fashion. So so Wonder Woman notices that the mark on the annihilator. 
And then later, Hephaestus mentions that he made her armor for Hippolyta. So I wonder where the mark is on her suit. I don't know. <laughs> like the inside of the, you know, her WW breastplate or something. I mean. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's somewhere, yeah. It's on the the one star, like right above her, you know, left butt cheeks or something, or something like that. Mm. It just makes you wonder, you know, because they make such a big deal out of that anvil with, like, the lightning coming out of it or something, you know. So, Dove's solution of kidnapping the leaders is similar to an out-of-continuity Superman story Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster created for Look Magazine in 1940. How Superman would end the war, he kidnaps Hitler and Stalin and brings them before the League of Nations. So, it's kind of of a, a similar situation there. Right. So, Hephaestus is a pig, isn't he? Uh huh. I mean, when he goes, she goes uh-huh. to see him. Oh man! <laughs> Jeez. I'll take that out a bit for you. Wow, he made that joke to Wonder Woman. Really? <laughs> and it's not a fat joke. Yeah. He's talking about her boobs, honey. I know. I know. No. No. I know. But I'm just saying. Yeah. 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 I'm just like. Yeah. She. Yeah. I know. <laughs> uh. Um. I do like his sly line about "You'll never stop it like that." While she has him held high by his throat. So that, I know. That's a nice, yeah. See, he, he is kind of, you know, he's giving her a hint that, you know. So He won't go ahead and tell her, though. No, of course not. Yeah, They always have to speak in riddles, you know. It's like, you know, they're Greek gods. They can't just come out and say something, you know. They got to turn into swans or do this or do that. And, like you know, what they, they can't just, you know, just be upfront about anything. So. No. Ares appears to the southern faction as a monk prophesizing their destiny to rule the country uh, they don't beat you over the head with it, but adding in zealotry makes this all the more believable as well. Well, so many times people use religion as, um, you know, just a blunt object to beat people over the head. They use one issue to try and get everybody else to follow them. Right. Yeah. And they don't. They ignore everything else. Right. Right. Yeah. So. And I'm getting on my high horse. I'm trying to step off. Yeah, I know. Well, I'm trying not. I'm trying to keep. Let's. I know it's hard to, but this, this episode, let's. Let's just kind of tr- try to keep it light as possible. <laughs> okay, okay. I'm sorry. That's okay. I, I know, I know. Uh, so Nardok was only concerned with pushing his enemies back away from the capital, which they control, not destroying them. But Ares isn't having any of that. And York was great when Ares lost his cool over this. I mean, he's just like, he he doesn't, it's like he doesn't even understand. Yeah. Like, you know. He, how dare you? How, you know. Yeah, how dare you be sensible about this, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so we're pretty sure Ares killed him, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I know we are. I know we are. Uh, Hawk does go after the southern leader, General Olenek. Uh, he seems to be more of the aggressor here, so it's fitting that Hawk goes after him, while Dove takes on the more defensive guy, which is Uh Nardok. But, of course, when he gets there, Ares has taken his place, and he doesn't even bother hiding it. He just transforms in front of him. Right. So Why? You know, why even replace him, really? He thought he had it won. It didn't matter. I mean, you know, it's one of those things, eh, I don't care. I'm just going to, you know. Yeah, I, I mean. I think that was part of it. But, you know, here, here's a costume superhero showing up. He's, he's probably got to assume Wonder Woman's going to show up. And, and she's got his number. She knows who he is. But Hawk and Dove are on a, like, they're, they're the B level. You know, let's yeah. be honest. He might not know who they are, you That's know, true. and and he might not think that any of the big one, the big players are going to show up. Yeah, that's you true. know, so yeah. 
Uh, so Dove being strapped to the Annihilator is a cool visual, but it's undone so fast, I don't really know why they did it. I mean, Hawk literally just runs up and yanks him off. Yanks him off. I think they could have gone further with that. Like, how cool would it have been if Hawk, Hawk had to stop fighting and convince everybody to stop fighting mm-hmm. to save his brother? Mm-hmm. If he had to accept his brother's ways to save his exactly. brother and stop it. Yeah. You know, and begrudgingly, you know, even, you know, I mean, I think that would have been more that powerful. Would, it would have, it would have given Hawk some character growth mm-hmm. too, you know, yeah. So the solution is basically just don't look, just don't look from the Simpsons Treehouse yeah. of Horror. <laughs> Where's Paul Anka? He probably, you know, came up with this. That Paul Anka's guarantee. guarantee. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, I like the sentiment of the ending, but don't I, make us poke your eyes out, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He's still staring at Lard Lad with the donut, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we we want to talk about everything but this episode. I know, I know. Uh, 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 anyway, like, okay, keep going. I, I like the sentiment of the ending, but I don't honestly think these people would just voluntarily stop fighting. No, and I mean, you've only got, it's two very small parts of those groups. It's not... Yeah. You know. It's not the whole, like, you know, it's like, oh, well, no, we, 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 we surrendered. No, 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 we didn't. You know, it's like, we, we just gave up. No, no, no. You know. So yeah, I, I, yeah. It, it's, 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 it's a wonderful sentiment. I just, yeah, I don't, mm-hmm. I think it's a little, it's a little pat. Although we do see later that this does stick. I will, I, I know I put that in a synopsis, but we do hear about Kat, Kaznia later and they have like a democratic government and, and part of, part of, uh, there's a plot. In one of the third season episodes that the Secret Society slash Legion of Doom, whatever you want to call them, is basically trying to um, uh, rob the the Euros coming in to the country mm-hmm. because they've now joined the European Union and they're, mm-hmm. you know, so, yeah. So, they, so this does stick. So, that's good. But, yeah. But this is not the last we see of the Annihilator either. No. Uh, not going to spoil things, but just keep watching and listening, of course. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he figures in pretty heavily into uh, the plot line of the story we'll talk about in the next episode, the one that begins there. So, mm-hmm. so what did you think of this one? Um, again, I mean, it it was a good episode. Was it a great one? No, but was it a good one? Yes. Yeah, that's kind of. I mean, we've had like two great episodes, mm-hmm. so this one's kind of. And I always remember thinking this was kind of, eh, you know. It's, yeah. I mean, it's it. A good episode of, of Justice League Unlimited, in particular, mm-hmm. is still greater than just about any other animated oh, show. Oh, yeah. But, it, yeah, it, it's, yeah. I think Wonder Woman was a bit out of character to prove the point of the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, people go through moods and phases, but she was pretty extreme in this one. Right. Um, I think Hot Girl would have learned a better lesson from the story, but she's off the table right now. And, like we said, there's the Greek connection. Um, I, I love the sentiment. And the handling of Hawk and Dove is better than most comics did with the original brothers. Mm-hmm. And I love the casting, but compared to previous offerings, this isn't quite up to the snuff of the season so far. But like we said, even a mediocre episode of Justice League is better than just about anything else. Right. So for our superlatives. Power action feature. Power action feature. I guess we'll call this power in action feature because Dove saves the day by doing nothing. Nothing. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Power in action feature, yeah. Rotating chairperson. So for rotating chairperson, who you got? I mean, I'm kind of thinking it's it's poor Jean because he's playing counselor for all these black dudes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, 
I would, I mean, it's, it's Wonder Woman's episode, so I would give it to her, but even though you could argue it's Dove, but that we gave him the power in action feature. So right. I, I would give it to Wonder Woman, mm-hmm. I guess. Justice League Communicator. The end exchange between Hawk and Dove is not only perfect for the characters, but is also emblematic of most of the debates raging in our country nowadays. Hard evidence is put in the faces of those who just choose to completely ignore it. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think that's, I think his line is, it's, it's appropriate, so. Comic Connections. There's no hard comic connection other than Marvel's Destroyer from the Thor series. And, of course, Ares was Wonder Woman's number one antagonist post-crisis. And also, of course, seen in the first Wonder Woman film. Right. So, yeah, you know, and Hawk and Dove, obviously. But, as we said last time, we're going to bench Electricity is Evil until it comes up again. Because mm-hmm. there's no electricity in this episode. Right. So, uh, you know, we'll, when it comes up, we'll... You'll hear that sound bite, but other than that, there's no point in saying it's not in this episode. Right. It's just not, they're just not going to fall back on that as much, I guess, from now on, which is a good thing. Exactly. So we're going to take a quick break and we come back. We'll have your listener feedback on the first episode of Justice League Unlimited we covered. Stay tuned. Imagine a podcast that celebrates the things we love. Why spend time being so angry and cynical about our fandoms? Join me, the Irredeemable Shag, for a show where we're just trying to be happy. The Once Upon a Geek Podcast. Our discussions focus on a variety of geeky subjects that we're passionate about. While the topics will be ever-changing, our focus will be on science fiction, comic books, what it means to be a geek in this world, and other nostalgia-fueled ideas. Life is short. Focus on the positive. Find your joy. The Once Upon a Geek Podcast. Part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Okay, we're back, and uh, just an update on feedback. We're recording two episodes back to back, a little behind the scenes. So we'll be usually we'll be covering feedback on one show a month, and we'll be two episodes behind moving forward. So we're covering um, you know initiation this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and next time we won't cover one, and then the next episode we'll cover uh, for the man who has everything. Mm-hmm. So that's that's how that'll fall out. Got our opening feedback from Siskoid, uh, from our network, of course, who, as we said, hosts uh, Zero Hour Strikes with Bass. Uh, I love this episode so much, in a way, because Green Arrow is being used like Hawkeye. Guys, while Justice League was great, you've moved into the, into the era of the show I most love. More heroes, better action, just awesome. Very happy you're finally there. Yeah, we are too. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this, it, this, this show is just more fun, you mm-hmm. know, cause you don't, you get to, and we get to talk about different characters. Mm-hmm. We get to talk about the way they're translated into the show. Um, and it's, I, I just think, I think the half hour nature, the shorter stories, I just think it moves at a brisker pace. Yeah. And, you know, I, I just, I think the show overall is just better all the way around. Okay. Rob writes in. Chris, thanks for mentioning the Green Arrow, first new member of the JLA bit of DC trivia that I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, was on Tim and Company's mind when coming up with this premiere episode. I think Rob put that in there on purpose because of you. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. Stop it! (laughs) No sunshine when she's gone. Uh, I love you. (laughs) Please don't make me change that sentiment. Okay. Uh, Dr. Ange wrote in, I love this episode. Supergirl, Supergirl kicks all the butt. Well, we should know he would love this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is something about how JLU portrays Kara. She's young and brash. She wants to do the right thing. She wants to help. She is trying to impress as a young hero. She is a touch rebellious. It all just works. And this first season shines such a light on her. Mm-hmm. I love how she sticks her tongue out of Captain Adam, completely juvenile, then feels sheepish about it. 
because she's trying to be put on these adult, she's trying to put on these adult airs. Just fantastic. Throw in Brimstone. Brimstone! You had me at episode number one. <laughs> yeah, I, I really do like uh, the Supergirl in this series. We got it. We should we should get Doctor Ange on an episode that features Supergirl. So yeah, let us know a Supergirl episode you want to talk about, Ange. So. Okay, Chuck Coletta writes in a little bit of Ken Shriner Green Arrow trivia. He and his twin brother Will Shriner, comedian, are the sons of the late great Herb Shriner, who was a humorist in the style of Will Rogers on radio and early TV. He would probably be better remembered today, but unfortunately, he and his wife were killed in a car accident in 1970. He was driving one of the over 40 cars he owned, a restored Studebaker Avante, when he lost control of the car and crashed into a palm tree. Ooh, yeah. I, I, I'll be honest. I was not. I know who Will Schreiner is because he um, he hosted a he had a talk show for a while, and I remember that. But I, I I was not aware of Herb Schreiner, so I you know that's that is, that is a shame because apparently he was a pretty you know influential mm-hmm. celebrity. It, it's funny how sometimes some celebrities just kind of seem to yeah. like you know I mean obviously Chuck remembers him, but right. I consider myself. I mean I remember a lot of obscure uh, mm-hmm. semi. I, I don't mean to say obscure, but I remember a lot of. Um, I'm aware of a lot of. Um, Celebrities, a lot of general, you know, the general public mm-hmm. don't recall that well, but that's a new one on me. So thanks for letting us know, Chuck. Uh, Mike Thomas wrote in, great episode of the show and the podcast. I'm actually new to JLU. I watched Super Friends and read DC Comics while growing up in the 70s and early 80s, but didn't watch JLU when it first aired. I'm looking forward to watching the episodes as you cover them on the podcast. It seems like a great show with the expanded group of heroes and single episode stories. It is, Mike. It is. I really enjoyed the first episode. Green Arrow is perfectly voiced by Ken Schreiner, who I am a fan of because I've been watching General Hospital for 40 years. As you know, Green Arrow makes a great POV character, and it's interesting that this is only his second TV appearance following his guest spot on one episode of the first season of Super Friends in 1973. Yeah, and I will, I you know, I was too young to watch Super Friends. I wasn't born in 73, I was born in 74. But when I first saw that Super Friends episode, I think, you know, in syndication, mm-hmm. Or, you know, in rerun, I, I like flipped out, was like, wow, Green Arrow's on here. And then he never showed up again on yeah. any version of Super Friends. Although he was on my Super Friends uh, beanbag chair that I had as a kid. Mm. And on my lunchbox. Yeah. My Super Friends lunchbox. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. Mick writes in, glad to have the podcast back, covering what I believe to be the definitive interpretation of these characters in any medium. Here, here. When- <laughs> when certain fans go on and on about how Batman can't interact with the more fantastical elements of the DCU, I point them directly to JLU. The writing, voice casting, and animation is top-notch throughout, and regarding this episode, we get the Green Arrow I enjoy the most. When I read any Green Arrow comics, it's Ken Schreiner's voice I hear. Looking forward to navigating through this wonderful series with Chris, Cindy, and any special guests they have lined up. Well, thank you, Mick. And, and yeah, I, I agree. I think Ken Schreiner nailed it. I think he sounds just like I thought Green Arrow should sound like. And, uh, yeah, I totally, we're totally with you. This is the version of the DCU in our opinion. So our pal Doug Van Diver wrote in, in Superman the movie, there are notes in the title theme that scan to the spoken or sung word Superman, surely arranged that way by legendary composer John Williams. Some other Superman themes have something similar. So does this new rocking JLU theme. Certain notes seem to sing out, Justice League Unlimited. Yeah, yeah. one extra impish syllable sneaks in. I count two times that you can sing this in the start of the song, and then five more in a row at the end. Cindy ought to appreciate hearing you give it a try, Chris. 
I understand oh. the repetitive sort of songs are her favorite. <laughs> so, so much. Thank you and Rob for that. Yeah. <laughs> Such lovely people. Uh, and a follow-up to that, I'll, I'll just go ahead and read this. Our, our, our buddy, Isamu Yukinori, uh, the son of our uh, late friend, Zoom Yukinori, said, Dad came up with these lyrics to make me and my sister laugh when we watched the opening and closing credits of Superman the Animated Series. Superman, Superman, wears on the outside his underpants. Superman, Superman, maybe he should call them outer pants. Oh, my. <laughs> I've always thought that, you know, uh, mine was always Superman, Superman, soup, Superman, Super Superman. You know, just like, you know, it's just, you, I mean, you can yeah. definitely sing song that one, too. Okay. Jack Bond writes in, Sorry to give feedback on your feedback, but this may be our only opportunity to mention the Abdominalist Fives Hundred. The Abominable Opolis. Say it again. The Abominable Opolis. Abominables. I can't say it. Okay. <laughs> the Abominopolis Fives Hundred. Stop. <laughs> I'm just saying that's what it is. Yeah, Ugh. that's because you talked about the Indianapolis Five Hundred, and you, you know, which one do you dislike the most? That. That, oh, that's and Jeff okay. Owens asked you if you which one you dislike the most, vibes or that. Remember, mm. so that's yeah, that's where it comes. From. Okay. okay. <laughs> uh, Lizanne Oswalt wrote in. I didn't really pick up on Green Lantern trying to be sexist, but he did kind of screw up calling her by her real name and not her code name. However, I can't remember if the cartoon she used her secret identity or if she went by her Kryptonian name. Because if she's Linda, then this is no different than when everyone called Superman Cal. Since after all, no one knows. That his birth, that's his birth name, and that he just goes by Clark Kent. Well, I, I, on the animated series, she was Kara. She was Kara Kent. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, there was no Linda. Uh, so, yeah. So, he really was blowing her secret identity. Exactly. And, and we'll see more of that coming up later. I'll just go ahead and say that. So, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> Jeff Owens writes in, Since I'm getting in on the ground floor with your JLU episodes, instead of playing catch-up for once, I'm going to do a watch-along. I don't think I've ever seen it. It arrived during a time that I wasn't really paying attention, which is odd because I distinctly remember watching its predecessor. And if you'll allow me a shameless plug, I have a DC Comics guy blog on which I'm currently looking at Metamorpho. I mentioned that on our Classic Horrors podcast and my co-host co sang a bit of the theme, just like you did on this episode. Finally, I'm going to do it right now. Become a patron. Shame on me for not doing it sooner. I have taken advantage of the network and its fine shows for much too long. I love what you all do. Well, that's very nice, Jeff. And and yeah, yeah, don't you know, we we definitely appreciate it. We definitely we definitely appreciate all our patrons and thank you very much. And yes, I did hear Richard <laughs> sing Metamorpho Metamorpho. So that was uh, that was a lot of fun on the last episode. Jeff and Richard host the Classic Horrors Club podcast, which I love. I love that show and I love those guys and it's a fantastic show you guys should check out. And the DC Comics Guy blog is a whole lot of fun. Jeff uh, has talked about Metamorpho. He's talked about Man Bat. It's a great blog. Definitely go check it out. It fits right in. Our Firewater fans will yeah. love it. Yeah, though you'll love it. It's a great, great blog. Check it out. Tim Price writes in. Take the stick out, Corporal. Kara is so great in this series. I'm so happy JLU cast is back. Uh, yeah, you know that probably should have been in the running for the best line yeah. in that Justly Communicator. We kind of dropped the ball on that one. So, but uh, but you know we. It, you know, the other one was more the, the Batman's line to Green Arrow about, you know, they tend to step on little guys. Uh, that's more befitting of that episode, but that's so much fun and everybody remembers that. So, yeah, yeah but it is, it is, it is a great line, yeah. Osamu Yukonori writes in, 
Great show and great listener commentary. I don't have much to add, just that I liked how JLU's shorter stories pack so much into 22 minutes and still takes the time to add little bits like Supergirl's snide banner to Captain Adam and that mock salute. A Chong Mei farmer testing Green Lantern's energy bridge with his foot and explaining how a boxing glove arrow can fit inside Green Arrow's quiver. I also did not hear a mention about the new opening credits for the show, which at first would show clips of the episode we were about to watch. My dad said it was inspired by an old sci-fi show called Space 1999, as well as Murder, She Wrote. Though, I think he was kidding about that second one. Oh, and remember when Batman and Robin had super speed and time out of joint? Yeah, yeah, I, I remember that now, Samu. Thank, thanks. I, I, I remember it now, but I forgot it forever, so now... <laughs> He's bringing that back up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but yeah, your your dad your dad's right. I mean, of course he was, but he you know that uh, Space nineteen ninety nine did do that, and I you know I didn't I didn't uh, I didn't I knew what Space nineteen ninety nine knew it was a show, and I, because basically because the ads in the back of the Power Records because mm. they did Power Records, but it was never syndicated when I was a kid around here that I remember I would have watched it, uh, but you know. Through our friend Brian Heiler being such a huge fan of it, uh, you know, one of the streaming channels has it, and I watched several episodes of it, and I really liked it. Mm-hmm. I, I need to watch some more of them. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's a good show. So. so that'll wrap it up for this episode. Special thanks to our Patreon supporters. Uh, for information on how you can support the Fire and Water Podcast Network, visit patreon.com slash fwpodcast. Extra special thanks to Jorge Luis Castillo, Matt Ryan, and Neil Whitney for specifically supporting JLUcast. Next time, we'll discuss an episode that kicks off the storyline that will run throughout seasons one and two of Justice League Unlimited. Get in on the ground floor of the Cadmus arc with fearful symmetry next time. See you then. Bye. Bye. JLU Cast is a Franklin and Franklin production in association with Bugaloo Enterprises worldwide and is a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. The characters and properties mentioned in this show are copyright their respective holders. Likewise, all audio clips are copyright their holders, and no infringement is implied. So please don't sue Mommy and Daddy. Emails can be sent to supermatespodcast at gmail.com. Comments can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Find us on Facebook by searching for JLUcast and FW Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter by using the hashtag FW Podcast. Please consider leaving us a review on iTunes. Thank you for listening to JLU Cast. You see, doesn't this prove exactly what I've been saying for years? Couldn't tell you. I'd do my best not to listen. What? And another thing.